It's not about money. It's about meaning. It's not about success, climbing the ladder of perceived success. It's about significance. And when I came to that understanding, this is going to sound so simplified. I let go of having to think I needed to do and gave up the to-do list and shifted to a to-be list and to be a better human being. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. It gives me such great pleasure to welcome Simon Bailey to the My Fourth Act podcast. Simon is an acclaimed author, speaker, coach, and entrepreneur, and I want to add serial entrepreneur. (laughs) He's written a bunch of fabulous books. The title that really stands out for me is Shift Your Brilliance, Harness the Power of You, which is I think important in all stages of life, but certainly in the fourth act, we have an opportunity to look at that in a whole new way. Simon is one of the most booked motivational speakers in the world, and he has been inducted in the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. Most importantly, I think of Simon Bailey as just a force of nature, and that's a high compliment. So welcome. Welcome, Simon. So good to be with you. Thank you for having me. And the fourth act, we talk about those moments when we shift into different stages in our lives. And sometimes it's planned and intentional. And sometimes the universe takes us where we didn't think we would go. Right. (laughs) So the first part may feel a little bit like this is your, this is your life, Simon Bailey, but the second half, we will really focus on what's emerging for you right now. When you were a boy or a teenager, Mm -hmm. who did you want to be Simon? So I grew up at a time when I used to watch Brian Gumbel and Jane Pauley uh-huh. on the NBC Today show. And I wanted to be the next Brian Gumbel that <laughs> hosted a, a show on TV. So uh, that was my aim. That was my goal. I want to be like him. <laughs> and, and was that a a passing whim or a, a lasting desire in your mind? Oh, it was a lasting desire. And yeah. I got a chance to meet him about 20 years ago. And I actually told him that and yeah. took a picture with him. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I used to run a theater company and we did work around social issues and Brian Gumble loved us and had us, had us on a whole bunch of times. Wow. I'm a, I'm a huge Brian Gumble fan and remember meeting him. I didn't know you and I had that connection. Yes. <laughs> Now, as a grown-up, you've had so many wonderful acts in your life already, but the one which sounds really sexy, so I want to talk about it, is you were an ex- <laughs> you you were an executive at Disney. And yes. Disney is this mythical, magical place. So I'm curious if you think about your time at Disney, because you left at some point, which is equally interesting. Sure. And it's it's sure. hard to leave mythical, magical places, I would imagine, sure. right? But what stands out for you as moments where you go, this is a moment where I went, wow, I love what I do, or 
Or this is a moment where you go, I can't wait to get the hell out of here. I think uh, probably there are three moments that stand out. The first okay. moment is I got a chance to be a character for a day. And that is the whole getting you indoctrinated, sniffing mm-hmm. the pixie dust. And so I was Tigger for a day. I was pretty cool. And then uh, the second moment is when I went to Disneyland Paris to design and deliver a leadership program for a thousand leaders out of Barclays Bank out of London. And while I was there in Paris is where I had the aha moment, the epiphany. And I'm like, you know what? I think I may want to leave and go and do this for the rest of my life, teach and train. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I couldn't at that time because we had just had a little baby. Uh, who at that time, Daniel was uh, only 18 months old. Uh, So I couldn't like just up and leave. And then probably the third moment is uh, when I did decide to leave Disney, (laughs) nothing of my my doing, well, it was all my doing. (laughs) But uh, I kind of committed the cardinal sin when I said I wanted to become CEO of the Walt Disney World Resort and eventually the chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And the journalist put put it in print and it came out February, 2002, page 12 in the Florida business trend magazine uh-huh. and full page with the Mickey mouse topiary behind me. And my boss called me in the office, like, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> and uh, that became the catalyst for me uh, exiting stage left. <laughs> I-, I love that story in so many ways, Simon, because there are, environments where people want you to claim the big stuff, mm-hmm. which you just did. And there are companies where it's not cool because you're considered too ambitious to whatever, you know, too uppity to whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And my hunch is that in your own life, you support people in tapping into their big brilliance. Right. Yes. <laughs> when you work in a place that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people went, oh, my gosh, you work at Disney, right? Oh, my God, how cool. And then you decide to leave. Like, what, what, is, what, what are some other reactions you had be, be beyond your business colleagues around the decision to move on? Some of them thought I was crazy. Some couldn't believe that I was leaving. And, of course, this happened uh, right when the country is going to war with Iraq for the second time. No. Corporations were laid off by the hundreds of thousands. And everyone said, play it safe. You don't, you don't take the leap and start a business. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the <laughs> best time to start because yeah. you ride the wave back up. You know, that as you, you would talk to anybody, the real money is made in the dip. So I decided to go for it and and swim upstream uh, to not listen to popular wisdom. Without getting too personal, this comes out in my work all the time. When when we're ready to shift into something else, Mm -hmm. was your wife ready to support you in this shift? Uh, Was your family ready to support you? Because it can be hard if you're not fully supported and moving into something else, right? And that's such a great question. So what a lot of people don't know, before I left Disney, I put my resume out on the street just to see what would happen. So I got two vice presidents offers to go and work at smaller companies and internal move at Disney because one of the senior VPs felt sorry for me. And then I got a job offer from FlexJet, which was a division of Learjet to head up all customer care for Learjet owners in the world. And I turned them down because my then wife said to me, whatever you decide to do, I'm with you. And the Mm. moment she said that, I was like, that's it. So I turned down all the four jobs and said, I'm going to hang my shingle out and do my thing. 
Beautiful. When you move to that process of offers, sexy offers, turning them down, mm -hmm. did you ever think, am I doing the wrong thing? Were you torn or was it just your wife's clarity that got you through? It was my wife's clarity because we were on the same page. And I believe at that time is a part of having the right spouse in your life mm. is to help you see around the corner when you can't see and to understand how you're wired. And I think what gave her comfort uh, in knowing that I was going to take this risk because she didn't, she didn't work outside the home. There was not another source of income. We were not trust fund babies. We yeah. were not, you know, we didn't come from a blue blood family. It yeah. like had to work. But what she had realized over 18 months, I had started getting up at 4.30 in the morning, just working on this idea. And I did it before I went to work at Disney. So she saw that, <laughs> that, that hustle, that courage, that fortitude. She said, I'm with you. We'll figure it out. Bravo. As I think of your next act, which is Simon Bailey, who wrote some amazing, inspirational transformational books and you become this beloved motivational speaker but i also know we don't get there overnight <laughs> so how did you find the courage to trust the journey in the beginning when the outcome wasn't obvious and i always feel like it takes some chutzpah to say i'm going to do that right what inside of you beyond your wife's support allowed you to go there Yeah. So first of all, in the spirit of full disclosure, I have made this up for the last 18 years. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, yeah, I'm all about strategy and the plan and you do this and do that, yeah. and, you know, budgets. But literally, I have made it up. Yeah. And a part of it has been intuition and gut. Yeah. Uh, the other part has been input from people smarter than me. Mm. And then I think the third thing is forever remaining curious and knowing there comes a time when you have to let go of what is comfortable and convenient in order to embrace what wants to emerge. So just intuitively, uh, 80% of your nervous system is in your gut. Yeah. And, and so intuitively just saying, okay, it's time to shift. Uh, okay, let's try this. And guess what? I have had more failures than I can count on both hands. But I'm here to tell you, uh, in the words of John Maxwell, fail forward. Yeah. And I was interviewing a, a CEO over in Tampa a few years ago. And he said, he gives out the fail, the failure award. And, and I followed up nice. a year later. And he said, he said, I still give, give out the award, but it's called the fail faster award. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I just I just kept failing and, and moving forward and hopefully got a little bit wiser along the way. But let me, let me probe a little more. This is what I remember because you and I have crossed paths before, but I could be wrong. Uh, but if I remember correctly, your first book, it was one of those situations where you have books in the trunk of the car yes. and you, <laughs> you, you're selling your own books, which take, in my mind, it takes... Tremendous courage, tremendous faith. There may have been some fear behind it. And, and I, I'm inviting you to tell the story because a lot of our listeners may be ready to shift into another phase where success is not guaranteed, right? Like, what, what are some experiences from that time that stand out for you? 
So the first thing that's top of mind is I self-published the book, Release Your Brilliance, and decided to send out a query letter to the publishers because they, we were taught back then, you're not a real author and unless you're published by the big six, right? Yeah. One mm-hmm. of the big six firms. Well, I got 13 rejection letters from New York to Los Angeles. <laughs> so, and it was a dear John, you know, no, sorry. Until I went to speak in Las Vegas, I'll never forget it. I remember it like yesterday. And there was a woman there who was on the board for Hudson News. Mm-hmm. And she came up to me and she said, do you do you have a book deal? I said, no. She says, I'm on the board for Hudson. I'm going to introduce you to a guy named uh, Joe Adidamizrio, who at that time was the COO. And I didn't know anything about Hudson, but they were the largest uh, book purchaser for airports in the world. And Joe heard me and he walked me next door at Mandalay Bay and introduced me to all of these publishers. And he said, this guy just spoke at our event. He got a standing ovation. We want you to get him, give him a book deal. We're the largest purchaser of books. And I said, what? And this was (laughs) after the 13 rejections and many of the rejections were from the publishers that were there. But I realized sometimes you need a sponsor. to speak on your behalf and leverage their influence. And that's what Joe did for me. So sure enough, uh, about a month later, I'm in New York City with an agent and we meet with five different publishers. By the end of the day, we have three offers on the table to buy the rights to release your brilliance. And we ended up going with HarperCollins, who at that time gave me a six-figure advance. And it was the perseverance of selling out of the back of my trunk, mm-hmm. never giving up when everybody was looking at me weird and what they didn't know. I had a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I had to buy, <laughs> I had bills to pay. It was real for me, but it's that perseverance. I think that got us the opportunity with HarperCollins. First of all, congratulations. That's a fantastic story. But what, I, what I'm also thinking of, and I think it relates to, to your work around brilliance mm-hmm. is that, in the end, the more we have the courage to be who we really are meant to be and show that the universe conspires to help us out, which is what happened with you. Totally. I mean, people got to experience Simon Bailey and the universe says, yes, let's help him out, right? But what what has it taken for you to... And I say this is a compliment. I think of you as a big personality... <laughs> You can fill big spaces. I would imagine at some point, some people in life say, hey, tone it down, Simon, but you're letting it out. Was that easy for you to do? What did you have to do mentally to say, okay, I'm just going to be Simon and I'm going to own this stuff? Yeah, it probably happened when I started working with our mutual friend, Jane Warlow, who has been an executive coach and someone that has greatly influenced me. Uh, Jane invited me to be an MVP, most vulnerable person. And and what I mean by that is to show up in a fresh way. And in fact, I'm I'm writing about that whole experience of understanding that vulnerability does not mean you're less masculine. Uh, Vulnerability is you're more honest with yourself first, and then you're honest with everyone else. And what I recognize is I was showing up in the world as an annoying echo instead of an original voice. 
And the moment I said, <laughs> yes, that I like me, I love who I am, and I don't have to be anyone else. What amazing things happen. <laughs> well, first of all, shout out to Jane Warlow, who is an amazing coach and a mutual yes. friend. Yes. But I could imagine that somebody's listening to us right now and thinking, shoot, I, I hope I'm not an annoying echo. Right? <laughs> so how, how do you differentiate for yourself between being an annoying echo, because we get rewarded for being annoying echo sometimes and, and going into that deeper space? How do you do that dance? Yeah. So I'll give you a prime example. Just yesterday, I spent time virtually with 1500 leaders with Stanford Healthcare, who are it's a part of Stanford University. Yeah. And had a long conversation with the executive that brought me in. And one of the things he said, you know, our folks are into deep research. And I said, okay, I got it. We love to hear what Harvard is doing. I said, okay, got it. So when I showed up, I cited the points that I was making with research to back it up. But I told my first person stories and I shared my content. And what I recognized when I started to embrace my story and share Mm -hmm. my story But even when I made points to back it up with research, it felt like a natural fit to me and it wasn't forced. And I stopped being that echo that sounded like everyone else. So I could cite, oh, have you read this book by Dr. Carol Dweck? Or have you read this book by Peter Drucker? And I could cite it, but then shift and say, so here is, let me synthesize what it means to me. And when I, when I had that epiphany, that's when everything took off that I didn't have to sound or look like Les Brown or Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn or any of them. I just had to be authentically Simon T. Bailey. I'm going to put it in my own language. And if I'm bastardizing what you said right now, correct me. But what I heard is it's great to have the research context and all the data. But in the end, people want to connect with our essence. When we can connect with the essence of others, then beautiful things happen in the world, right? And when we don't allow that, it's a little harder. Mm-hmm. Here's a word from our sponsor. That's me. I invite you to check out myfourthact.com. There's a whole other world of fourth act conversations going on beyond this podcast. Myfourthact.com. Please take a look. Now, because you've had this wonderful ride as a public speaker, as an author, I mean, you just have done such awesome work. You use the language, tell my own story. Mm-hmm. What I know from my own experience, as we step into different stages, our stories about ourselves change as well, right? The, yeah. the, yes. the, the story of Simon Bailey, you know, from Buffalo, who wanted to be Brian Gumble has probably changed along the way. And I can tell different stories about who I am as well. So how has your story of you changed? How does it keep changing? Yeah, so I I tell people I've reinvented probably five times and on my fifth reinvention right now. But here's here's what I'll tell you. The moment I realize that I am flawed, I am perfectly imperfect, and it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. When I came to that understanding at 52 years of age, 
that it is not about perfection. It is about internal connection. Yeah. It's, it's not about money. It's about meaning. Uh, it's not about success, climbing the ladder of perceived right. success. It's about significance. And when I came to that understanding, this is going to sound so simplified. I let go yeah. of having to think I needed to do and gave up the to-do list and shifted yeah. to a to-be list and to be a better human being. So point in case, um, I've been tremendously impacted by watching what has happened with COVID-19. Yeah. And I said, what if I'm in service to others and begin to give, you know, and help with food insecurity? And so many people have economic uncertainty. And what I recognize is the more I begin to give to mm -hmm. help the least, the last, the lost, it opened up something in me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's the purpose of humanity. It is about helping lift someone up and yeah. give a hand up instead of a hand out. And when I got it, I shifted from me to we. And it's in that we-ness of being in service to another human being that I realize I need you, you need me. We could end the podcast right now, but we're not. So that was, <laughs> that, that was such a wonderful way of explaining it. Because you're animated by big forces. I want to talk about the COVID Sure. experience in a moment because I, my hunch is that's a whole other new act for you. I'm going to use the, the word, the divine, you know, we have different relationships with the divine to God, to higher power, whatever it is. So for me, it's a connection to the divine. The more I trust that as it enters me and moves through me, uh, the easier my life gets. I, I, uh, you, you talk about trusting your gut. You talk about all of these things. What's the role of, the divine or whichever language you use in your life as you move into bigger spaces of being. Yeah. So without God, I say that I am nothing without mm. God. I would fail without God. I would be like a ship without a sail. So for me, the divine God runs very deep. It's how I start my day by meditating, focusing on how do I be in service today mm -hmm. by, first of all, examining my shortcomings and, and my areas of opportunity? Number one. Number two, how do I ensure that I'm not judging anyone based on their socioeconomic status, their mm -hmm. ethnicity, their um, uh, sexual preference? How do I just not judge but live in a place where I honor whoever's in front of me virtually or in person? And then probably the third thing is being intentional to always admit that I didn't get it right, but I, I want to get better. And the divine helps me with that self-awareness piece that, you know what, you mm. really jacked that up right there. <laughs> now, years ago, I would like brush it under the rug and yes. not even pay attention because yes. my ego, which is edging greatness out was so big, right? <laughs> and when I, when I let go of the ego and say, you know what? It's about being honest with yourself first before yeah. you be honest with others. And the divine helps me with that. I'm glad because we all experience the divine differently, but most people who have a connection to God or whatever your definition of it is, 
it's not an idea. It's an, it's a conscious intentional. It's also an in the body experience. Could you give us a glimpse of how you experience God? Is yeah. it possible to give us just a snapshot since that is an animator for you? Yeah. So how I experience God, especially getting through this COVID-19 time is there have been moments when I have felt hopeless, uh, self-isolation, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Right. And it's in those moments when I receive a phone call, a text or something in the mail from someone. And I said, how did they know? That lets me know that the divine already knew that I would be at this moment in time yeah. already prearranged for someone to do something that was just a hunch or inkling. They didn't know why they were doing it. And, and that message for me was the message in the bottle. It was the carrier pigeon to the soul. It was a way of someone hugging me with their words. That lets me know that the divine hadn't forgotten about me and that the divine exists. And so now I live every day with this awareness. How is the divine going to surprise me today? So for instance, to be able to wake up in the morning and to walk outside here in Florida and receive the vitamin D and the sunshine, I'm like, wow, what a great state we live in. To even go, I'm a big beach person. So when I can go to the beach and to see the ocean, it just goes for miles and miles. I'm like, there's a divine here, you know, to be able to have our five senses. So I use every day, every moment to be grateful because somebody went in the hospital last night with mm. COVID-19 and they did not wake up this morning. Mm. And here I am here. So forget the bills and everything else that's yeah. going on. The divine lets me know that I can have this moment with you. That's how I experience the divine. And what touched me is, I don't want to oversimplify it, is you started with talking about the message of the phone call and knowing that when the phone rings, it's divinity calling. I know that. And the glimpse of the beach is divinity speaking to me. But that requires a consciousness to be able to see it and feel it and receive it, yes. which then creates more and more of it. I love and appreciate your specific examples You've already alluded to it, so I, I'd like to spend the rest of our chat. And let me say it this way. I think of you, and, and this is a high compliment, as a stage animal. <laughs> yeah, you are, you are, you own the stage, your energy is amplified on stage. You're able to touch sometimes thousands of people when you are on stage. And then COVID happened, and for now that was taken away from you. You alluded already to some of the changes. You circumstances are propelling you into new wisdom and to new acts. I'm going to keep it that open. So, what's been emerging for you? Or what's that journey been like? Yeah. So, it started with Spark Hope, where I was just so concerned about the despair globally yeah. as we have gone through this pandemic. Uh, uh, Professor David Williams at Harvard says, we're all on the pandemic ocean, but some people are in different boats, right? That's right. So <laughs> I said, we got to spark hope. So as you know, we did, you participated in a yes. number of virtual uh, uh, sessions that we did. We reached people, we gave back, then we went to spark growth. So now what's coming up for me is that whoever has the most hope has the most influence. 
That's mm-hmm. number one. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be launching, and it, this is probably the first time I'm saying this publicly because we've been sitting on it for about the last year or so, mm-hmm. but I'm getting ready to launch a web TV show called Spark You. Way and- to go, <laughs> Simon. I love that. <laughs> because I think we got to help people respark their yeah. restart, right? So we're yeah. just feature stories and examples of people who found that spark again and, and what they specifically did. So I'm really, really excited about that. And then I just had like another idea in, in the show. I said, we had to find time to feature organizations that are on the front line of helping people globally who are hurting. So when you look at uh, Chef Jose Andreas with yes. World Central Kitchen, right? How do we now bring what they're doing to the world to just, you know, who we're reaching and say, guess what? You can be a part of this. That is lifting humanity up. I get chills just talking about it. So uh, so think of Larry King meets. Uh, there's a guy years ago called Tony Brown, Tony Brown Journal, really big in the 80s and 90s. So Tony Brown Journal meets Larry King. And I'm just going to have conversations like yeah. We're going to videotape it to really just spark hope in people so they can learn and earn by caring and sharing. First of all, congratulations, and thank you for sharing that with us. But what strikes me, again, I'm thinking about the journey of everybody who's listening to us, that you are expanding into something, the origins of which had already been there within you. You know, yes. you the, the notion of sparking and the importance of sparking has been part of your work for a long time. And yeah. but you're moving it into another arena because you can feel like this total abrupt departure. No, it's an expansion, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. And it only would have happened because of and I, I don't mean to sound, sound disrespectful in what I'm about to say. But for me, COVID-19 has been a gift. It has been the gift of quietness, self-reflection, and what really matters and what's meaningful. And because I've just had to sit, right, and write and listen and uh, sometimes cry, sometimes smile and laugh, uh, get through the loneliness of what am I supposed to do to come to this is it. So now to bring it full circle, what I told you, I really admired Brian Gumble. It's yeah. like at 52, right? And, and when I saw Brian Gumble, I was like 14, 15. So here right. I am at 52. <laughs> <laughs> and just in my own little way, it's to, to hug people with my words. That's a beautiful dot to connect. Thank you for doing that. So talk a little more about the dropping into more quiet, yes, which was imposed on many of us, because the dropping into quiet can lead to despair. It can lead to feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. At its best, it can lead to a discovery of things that were always there, but we were hiding because we were too busy, right? Give us a little more flavor for somebody. I, I see you, at least in public, as super high extrovert. <laughs> and that may just be a persona. I know there's so much more to you, but give us a sense of what walking into quiet was like for you beyond what you've already said. So one of the things that I've been challenged with in the spirit of full disclosure over the last year is sleeping. 
And I tell people the importance of sleeping, but I will wake up at 2.30 in the morning after going to bed, say at 9 Mm p.m., and will wake up 2.30 a.m., bright-eyed, bushy-tail, and cannot get back to sleep. So instead of tossing and turning, I decided to get up. Mm -hmm. And I would write in my journal or I would just sit quietly and just listen to uh, a soundtrack of ocean of the ocean. Right. Mm -hmm. Try to quiet myself. And then after a while, I realized, wait a minute, if I'm going to be up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, let's really use this time to kind of listen and lean in. Mm -hmm. So I started processing my father's death. Uh, my father's been uh, passed almost eight years and my father had never told me that he loved me until he was passing on his deathbed. And I was struggling to understand why didn't I tell my son that I loved him? So I'm processing that. I'm thinking about the relationship with my mom and she's 80 now. What are some things that we need to address? So I started using this time of quietness. You know, Mark Nepo, N-E-P-O, mm-hmm. wrote a book called 7,000 Ways to Listen. Yeah. And so what I'm really understanding is that the same letters that spell the word listen spell the word silent. And I am a person who at times uh, has, has to be the smartest person in the room. I've had to let that go. Um, I, in time past, have all the answers. I have to let that go. I have been the person that is always busy, but not effective. Mm. And understanding when you get silent, you come to the place of unconscious incompetence where you truly say, I don't know what I don't know. And when you reach that place, I believe the only time you reach that place is when you're quiet. So thank you for giving all of us a neat sense of what's emerging in the silence for you. I just got back on Sunday from spending a week in Germany with my 96-year-old mother. And we, we have said everything to each other. We are pure love right now. But one thing I've learned in, maybe this is a fourth act message, is to have the courage to talk about everything. Mm-hmm with our parents, with our loved ones and ourselves, Mm -hmm. because I used to think that my mom couldn't contain it. So I would give a sanitized version of me. And the truth is she can hold it. And the problem was that I couldn't hold a more complete version of myself. Wow. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing where you are with your journey. I have a couple of questions I ask at the end of each podcast. And one is from your current vantage point, as somebody who is expanding and emerging into new ways of being and coming from a place of curiosity, I love that you use that word. If you were to whisper some words of wisdom into younger Simon's ears, based on what you know now, or maybe you wish somebody had said this to you when you're a young boy, what, what would you say to young Simon? I would say, first of all, even though racism is real, Learn to understand that love and respect have no color. So even though things are projected to make you think that life is limited, do your own work, read, Mm. research, write, understand, and become the best possible human being that you can become. 
while you're here on earth. I would tell my younger self that for sure. Beautiful. If you were, and it can always feel presumptuous to say if you were to share some wisdom with our listeners, but I'm going to go there anyway, Simon. Okay. So you're forewarned. Our listeners have already had rich, full lives, but they're emerging into maybe their late 50s or 60s or 70s. They don't want a traditional retirement. What kind of wisdom or guidance would you give to them around how to move into, I call it the fourth act, but other acts? What would you say to them? I would say, as you are moving into significance, take Mm -hmm. a moment, record a video for anyone that is meaningful in your life and tell them what you think about them, how you value who they are, what you mean, what they mean to you. And and the reason I say a video, because that video will Mm -hmm. live longer, long after you're gone and your great, great, great grandchildren or great nieces or nephews, they will have just that moment to say, wow, this is what he or she thought. That's the first thing. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is to write a letter to all of those that are meaningful to you, a letter or a handwritten note. And yes, this is a page out of the the movie that I've seen a dozen times, The Notebook. (laughs) It's it's okay. It it bears repeating. (laughs) But write the note now, the moment it hits you, because they will hold on to that forever. I listened to you and my translation was be in love, own the love, speak the love, you know, and uh, I, I love that you made it so concrete for us. Now, as you look to the future, your own future, the future of others, society, the planet, any way that you want to think about it, that I'm going to keep that open. Any thoughts as you look to the future? You know what? To be alive on planet Earth at this time wow, to to witness all of the innovation and breakthroughs and everything that's happening. But the one thing I would encourage all of us to do is be in the service of being a human being, not a human doing. Everyone that crosses your path, they are not placed in your path by accident. It costs nothing to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, to smile just for that moment, mm-hmm. because you never know what people are going through. And if you just take a, a, a moment to be kind, all right, so so quick, quick, Emory University has released some research that says um, when you are giving to another person, it doesn't have to be monetary, but yeah. just kind gesture, the reward center in our brains begin to light up. And literally, we experience what they call the helper's high. Because when we do something for someone else, it is almost as if we are on the receiving end of what we just given. So when I talk about being more human and having this helper's high, uh, treating human beings, no matter where they are, with kindness, if we can do that, what a planet we could have. Amen, Simon. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that. As we complete, you're a public figure, so people can find you easily. But if, if you were to guide folks, what would be the best place for our listeners to get concrete information about you? Where, where do you want to send them? Sure, they can go to Simon T. Bailey, T like terrific, uh, bailey.com. Everything's there. 
I love the way you say tea like terrific. <laughs> you gotta have a little fun. You gotta have a little fun. So thank you, Simon, for thank your you. generosity of, of just being in spirit. It was a total pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.